turn your Bibles, well, two places if you want. So first of all, I'm going to be reading from Matthew chapter 28, which is Matthew's account of the Easter story. I want you to hear the detailed description of Easter morning from Matthew's perspective. And then we're going to go to the book of 1 Peter uh, chapter 1 to talk about what Easter means. So if you're using one of the blue chair Bibles, Matthew 28 is on page 835, and 1 Peter 1 is on 1014. Here's what Matthew says about Easter. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus, who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. That's Matthew's account of what happened over Easter. A description of the events. The truth of an empty tomb. A fulfillment of what Jesus had said before was going to happen. And the women witnessing and being able to touch Jesus. And to see that it was truly him. But what does it all mean? This is what happened, but how does what happened here change my life and change my view of the world and how I understand myself and the world? And so today I want to use a couple verses from the letter of 1 Peter to help us understand the significance of what Peter thought was the significance of the Easter story. At the center of these verses, we are going to see reference to Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And so we're going to use 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, to help us understand what the resurrection means for us. So let me read all three verses, and then we'll go back and look at the individual parts. This is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So as Peter say, Easter is all about the first one, and if you're following along in the outline and provided in your bulletin is this, that Easter is a celebration of God's mercy. Look at verse 3, the second sentence in verse 3. According to his great mercy. What Peter is about to say about the resurrection and what it means, he begins by putting in the context of God's mercy. Mercy is an important idea in your Bible. Mercy simply defined is this, you not getting what you deserve. And Peter is telling us that what he is about to say is a demonstration or happened because God was merciful to us. Well, what did we deserve? If we were people of mercy, what did we deserve that God showed us mercy about? Ultimately, God shows us mercy because we are sinful people. The Bible tells us that we are sinful both by nature and by choice. And because of that, a holy God cannot exist with a sinful person. And because our sin is against God, there is a punishment that that sin deserves. And so, we need the mercy of God. Because we do not have standing before God without it. We have sinned. That sin needs to have just punishment. And therefore, to be in relationship with the holy God who loves us and created us, we must find his mercy. What I love about mercy is that it both comforts us and humbles us. There is a proper humbling that we must have when we admit the truth that we need mercy, that I am not good enough on my own. And the longer you live, the easier it is to admit that, or at least it should be. If you don't think you need mercy, then you're just lying to yourself. And may I suggest installing more mirrors in your home. But at the same time, mercy comforts us. It takes a weight off of us because we recognize that our salvation, our hope of eternal life, is not based on our performance. That it is not the cosmic rat race of earning our salvation. 
We don't have to worry that our good deeds outweigh our bad. But rather, there is comfort in knowing that while we were enemies of God because of our sin, God did not give us what we deserve, but showed us mercy. That we are no longer under the condemnation of our sin. That the new life in Christ we have is not earned. Because if it was, we'd never get it, and we'd never, if we even got it, we'd never be able to maintain it. But thankfully, in the cross and empty tomb, God shows us his mercy. Secondly, according to Peter, Easter is a celebration of new life in Christ. Let's look again at verse 3, the next clause there. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That because of God's mercy and through the death of Jesus Christ, Peter tells us that God has caused us to be born again. This echoes what Jesus himself said as recorded in John chapter 3 about the need to be born again through faith in Jesus. This reflects what Paul would talk about in the book of Ephesians, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But here we see that through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are reborn. We are born again to life. Easter is a celebration that you are no longer dead in your trespasses and sins, but have been made alive through faith in Christ. But this also tells us further about the nature of our salvation. You didn't just need an upgrade. You needed a new life. Christianity is more than just a path to better living or your best life now. Christianity is you were dead and God made you alive. He didn't make you nicer. He didn't make you better. He made you alive. And again, and this is related to what we've said about mercy. When we recognize how pervasive sin is in our life, that sin affects every aspect of our thoughts and our words and our deeds. And when we're honest with ourselves about the brokenness and sinfulness that we have, the more we are able to understand this need. Again, not just to fix up, but to have a new life in Christ. 
You don't need Tylenol because you got a headache. You need the paddles because you were dead. And that is what we celebrate today. What I also want us to see is that when Jesus uses this idea of needing to be born again, of needing this new life, and using this idea of birth to communicate that to us, I think what else he is saying is, like birth, it is done to you. (laughs) You don't birth yourself. Now, I know that might feel a little silly to think about, (laughs) but it's important. Look at what Peter says in verse 3. He has caused us to be born again. This salvation is not something we can do. It is something that is done to us. It is God at work in bringing us back to life. And that is through repentance of sin and faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross, paying for our sins and then rising again, sealing the deal of our salvation and putting on us his righteousness so that we can be reconciled to the holy God who loves us and created us. And so we celebrate, not because we have rules for better living, but because through faith in Jesus, we are made alive. And that life that we have in Christ can begin today and goes into eternity. And that's the next point of verse 4. So in verse 3, Peter says he's caused us to be born again to a living hope. And in verse 4, we see what that living hope is. So point number 3 in your outline there. Easter is a celebration of eternal life. So according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We born again through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Verse 4, 2, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. The result of this salvation is eternal life. And in verse 4, when it says, kept in heaven for you, that tells us that this eternal life culminates in being with God forever. Now, when Peter says in verse 3, a living hope, that's a way to talk about how this is a real and true hope as opposed to a dead hope, which is no hope at all. And we see in verse 4 that this hope of the resurrection is in fact eternal life. And eternal life here, again, to help us understand what it is like, is compared to inheritance. Now inheritance, especially at the time when this is written in world history, primarily would have been 
land or related to land. And land, especially back then, provided for your needs. You farmed on it. You had your animals, your sheep, your cattle on it. It gave you life stability. In one sense, it was your, it was your backup because you always had the land. But it would also give you your place, your status in society. It was, and it's something that was gained in the future, something that you would look forward to having. Inheritance, back then especially, supported your life. But here, it is a better inheritance. The gift of eternal life is greater than any inheritance we might receive. Peter describes it as imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Everything that we have here breaks down. Even farmland can break down if you don't treat it properly. But the picture of hope, the picture of eternal life, the emphasis here is on how this inheritance will never be gone. It'll never lose value. It'll never break down like everything else. It is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And this inheritance has the best security system in the cosmos. As we've referenced before at the end of verse 4, kept in heaven for you, the implication being kept by God for you. It's his place. He's holding on to it for you. The picture is of living in a kingdom, and you have your place in God's kingdom. You're under his protection. You're under his rule, and therefore, nothing will spoil. Nothing will be stolen. Nothing will be taken away. Eternal life, like inheritance, is this great future gift that gives life. And it is through the resurrection of Jesus that we have this hope. A hope that cannot be stolen. A hope that will not fade. A hope that when our lives on this world feel short. When we hear about bombings in cities, when we wrestle with our own mortality and our age, in all of that, Peter says to us, In spite of all of that, if you belong to Christ, your future is secure. Your future is perfect. Your hope 
is in eternal life being face to face with your creator. And not only is that our hope, not only is that our future, our end of the story, but in verse 5, Peter focuses on the security of our salvation and that hope. Let's look at verse 5. Who, this is referencing to the you who has this inheritance, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 5 is a declaration of security for those who belong to Christ in faith. In verse 4, it was the inheritance that was guarded. But in verse 5, it is the people of God who are being guarded. And how are they being guarded? Look at the text. First of all, by God's power. The God who created the universe, who named the stars, has secured for you your salvation and the hope of eternal life through the death of his son on your behalf. The God who created everything, who is above all in power and authority, it is that power that is sustaining your salvation Your forgiveness is secure because his grace is overflowing. He won't run out of forgiveness points with you. The salvation of Jesus is completed. As you read the crucifixion, Jesus says, It is finished. Not, I hope I got everything. Our present salvation and our eternal hope are guarded by the very power of God. And not your own power. Your eternal life is not guarded by your power to keep it up, to keep going, to keep struggling, to show some grit. But rather, it is God's by power, and secondarily, we see in verse 5, through faith, which is itself a gift from God. We're being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. The message for us is that God in his power guards and preserves those who have placed their faith in Jesus that brings them salvation from their sins and into the hope of eternal life. The living hope of verse 3 is the secure hope of verse 5. Because our hope comes through what Jesus did and his death and resurrection, that hope is secure. My hope and my salvation are not based on my ability to be good, 
My hope is living and secure because it is won for me by the death and resurrection of Jesus on my behalf. Your salvation is not based on your ability to hold on to God. Through the resurrection, He has taken hold of us. He has taken hold of those who have placed their faith in Him. Easter, therefore, is a celebration of that secure hope. A hope that cannot be taken away. A hope that cannot be lost. But a hope that is secure and a firm foundation. As we close, I want us to think through what we have seen this morning of God's mercy, of the gift of new life, and the hope of eternal life and the security therein. But I want to come back to the theme that ran throughout the points of your outline, and that is the idea of celebration. Now, I could have used that word just because of the traditional way that we have Easter services. They're very celebratory. We sing vibrant songs. Many of us wear yellows and light blues and pastels. And that's very good because the idea of celebration is in Easter. But for today, I want us to look at the very beginning of verse 3. Because celebration is the context for the verses we read today. Worship of God goes before everything that I've said about the meaning of Easter. Look how Peter begins verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is an exclamation of praise. There is a calling out of worship to the God who did all that he then describes. There is a call to worship the God who shows us mercy. There is a call to worship the God who gives us new life. There is a call to worship the God who saves us from our sin and gives us eternal life and secures that hope for us. There is a call to worship the God who took those who were dead in their sins, who were enemies of God, through sins and deserving of the just wrath of God. Through the resurrection, he made us into his people. Now and into eternity. So as I close, I want to invite 
the worship team back up because I think it's only fitting to go right back into singing praises to God and to see what we examine this morning as fueling that worship. We don't sing because that's just what we've always done. (laughs) Now it's true. God's people have always been singers. Hi, Honora. Yeah, we got to get... She's going to have a solo later. (laughs) But we worship and, and we celebrate in worship because of Easter. Because God showed us mercy in Jesus. Because he gave us new life. And he gives us the secure hope of eternal life. He is the one who gives us our living hope. Let's stand and sing.